You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. crowd that came down from from Canada you know you get a little bit of extra not energy but you kind of feel the excitement a little bit more here yesterday a guy when I was passing him he said Harmon you don't have the stones for this that helped what is going on hey it is Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650 no Halford no Bruff they're out of here they're gone for a while it's me, it's Jamie Dodd, and uh, from The Athletic, my guy, Israel Fair, filling in for the next couple of weeks here on uh, on Halford and Bruff. What's going on, man? Good, good to be here. Yeah, I'm here for two weeks, but this is truly the month of Dodd. It is, yes. I am, uh, I'm here for four weeks. I'm the one constant in this time That's slot right. for the next four yep. weeks. A rotating gallery of producers and co-hosts and... You know, much like uh, that heckler to Brian Harmon, Laddie got <laughs> Laddie got in my ear right before the show and said, "You don't have the stones for this, Jamie." <laughs> so I'm gonna have Are to try to for this? I'm gonna have to try to prove him wrong. Uh, yeah, it's Jamie Dodd. It's Izzy Fair here for the next couple of weeks. A Dog and Laddie are here. I'm not going to say for the next couple of weeks, but I have no pres- I have no idea. But you're here for today, at least. We're we're floating over the next month. Yeah, all it's right. Rotating. All right. It's, yeah, it's, there's a lot of that going on. It's summertime. It's summertime. Yeah, a lot of floating uh, happening right now. And uh, I I also enjoyed uh, a dog uh, as we were sitting here doing prep. Got in my ear and just said, "It's different now." <laughs> I fear <laughs> change. The show. There's it's, this there's this new car smell. In it's the different studio. this time. <laughs> Well, you what? both of you actually bathe for starters, so it actually smells a lot nicer. <laughs> yeah, a lot more pleasant. Yeah, you're, you're wearing pants, which is a big up too. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. a lot of improvements already, uh, which is wild because we're not even live streaming, but we're still we're still slightly presentable here yeah. uh, on the show today. Uh, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbarlumber and of course, uh, we will still do what we learned in the final segment of the show. So you can get your submissions in now. Uh, what you learned over the uh, last uh, 72 hours of sports, since it is a Monday morning. Hashtag WWL. Hit us up in the inbox. Uh, the Hour one of Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer Today and also brought to you by Johnstone's Barbecues. You don't pay more to shop with the experts at Johnstone's Barbecues. Open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit Johnstone's.com. A big show coming up. We've got uh we're gonna go to Miami at 6 30. Talk to Franco Penizo, host of the Miami Total Football Podcast. Uh kind of a big deal. Leo Messi playing in Miami in North America now. Because there hasn't been enough Miami sports news over the last <laughs> couple of months. So we'll talk to Franco about that. At 7 o'clock, Adnan Verk, our guy from the MLB Network, will join us. Uh, and Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun covering the Toronto Blue Jays will join us at 8. And you know what? I got to say, as much as we complain typically about 
the the sports talk radio atmosphere in the summer because there's not a lot going on. Not a lot of NHL or Canucks news. This was actually a very busy weekend. There was a lot happening. Yep. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? Uh, what happened brought to you by the BC Construction Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. Uh, as I mentioned, a lot's happening over the weekend. Let's start with golf. You heard the quote from Brian Harmon there. He, of course, wins his first major at the Open in Liverpool. And I got to say, I mean, congratulations to Brian Harmon. Good for him. Hey, you'd love to see a guy break through. I believe he's 36, one of the older first-time major winners we've seen in a while. So that's nice. No drama whatsoever. No drama whatsoever on Sunday. And, you know, you heard the quote from Harmon there saying guys were heckling at him. You know, I know there's a there's a story on ESPN where he said, you know, people were yelling at him, put, him in, put it in the bunker. People were actively cheering against him. And I don't think it's because... He's a bad dude. Like, I don't think this is a, a Patrick Reed situation or anything. I think right, it was just right. people were like, okay, let's see if there's can, – can we at least get this within, like, two strokes at, at, at any point on the day? And the answer yeah. is no. We cannot. No. He, he, he held off everyone very, very easily. Compared to Wimbledon, where you get Alcaraz, Djokovic, oh. and you get the rising star taking out the guy who's yeah. been dominant for a decade – uh, this this wasn't that, and so maybe we got spoiled with the the men's Wimbledon final. Yeah, uh, because this is like it is a nice part of the summer schedule for us here on the West Coast, where there's a Sunday where you can get up and watch the men's Wimbledon final, mm-hmm. and then usually a week later you can get up get and the watch open. The, the, yeah. the final round of the Open Championship. And sometimes they're both really dramatic. In mm-hmm. this case. Yeah, kudos to, to Brian Harmon. Uh, I guess some sort of credit to the, the the crowd in Liverpool for getting on him. Getting on him, yeah. Uh, to, to try to do their part to, well, to stir is, things up. It is funny because normally work out. at a golf tournament, you know, obviously there's fan favorites and there's a, a, a couple of villains or a few villains. But generally, if somebody's playing well, the crowd gets behind them, right? The crowd's like, oh, wow, this is cool. I, I'm rooting for this guy. It's very rare to see a crowd not be on board uh, with somebody who's leading a golf tournament. It was interesting. And I mean, look, full credit to him because there was, I think there was, he had a couple of early bogeys on Sunday, but then he responds with back to back birdies. There was one moment where John Rahm was three strokes behind, but then Rahm bogeyed and he birdied. And I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's over. probably the story that people, because of how poorly he played to start. Yeah. Uh, people would have. Yes, that would have been really. I guess that would have been really compelling. Some history can Rom draw? Can Rom? And he's a bigger name as well. All of that didn't happen. You know, credit to Harmon. It it is funny though because it's not even as if you know he's a first-time major winner, but I think he was ranked like 26 in the world going into this. So you can't even look at it and say, "Oh wow, like Cinderella story." This guy comes out of nowhere. It's like no, just. Yeah, pretty good golfer, <laughs> really good golfer, not famous necessarily, but a really good golfer who uh, has a fantastic tournament and ends up winning the Open in Liverpool. So uh, congratulations to Brian Harmon for showing 
that he did, did indeed have the stones for getting it done <laughs> at the Open in Liverpool, contrary to the wishes uh, of the crowd, of the gallery over there. I mean, I will say, I like the Open in general, like different style of course, often, typically, right? And certainly was uh, this weekend. And I, I enjoy the, uh, the British crowd as well. Like, I don't think you would have got that in... The U.S. Yeah, at like the PGA or Championship yeah. or something. They yeah. just would have been like, all right, we're cheering for this yeah. guy. And he's a, you know, he's American, yeah. sure. But, you know, even if you flip it and it was like a Brit winning at the PGA Championship or something, I don't think people would have been on him. I think people would have been like, oh, no. great, unless, we're seeing a guy have to play a good round. Tigers in the hunt or something. Sure, sure. That's the only that's the only example I can think of. Yeah, if, but, if it's like Tiger might win another major. <laughs> Yes. And he's still got a chance here. But this guy stands in his way. Yeah. yeah, no, then you're right. You're right. But, I mean, if it's, I don't know, Jordan Spieth or yeah. anybody else, I don't think they're going to go too crazy. Anyways, we, yeah, it's m- funny. We need, we need more heckling in golf, basically, is what I'm saying. So shout out to the Brits. <laughs> shout out to the Brits for coming through uh, with some heckling at the Open for Brian Harmon. Uh, all right. Other big event, and uh, I'm sure some of our listeners were probably down in Seattle for this one. Uh, text us 650-650 to uh, hit us up if you were. But uh, They're still in the borderline. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite possibly, yeah. Uh, the Jays and the Mariners in Seattle. Uh, Seattle takes two or three. Jays salvage one game yesterday with a 4-3 win on Sunday. Uh, really exciting series. Three 1-1 games, all close late, obviously. Um I will say, as a Jays fan, going into this series, I knew it was going to be Kikuchi, Gosman, Manoa. Yeah. And with Kikuchi and Manoa going, it's like, ah, I'll take one win. Mm-hmm. I'll take one win. And it happened to be Manoa, not Gosman. But you know what? You got those two guys going on the hill. Like, one out of three is not too bad for the Jays there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Manoa uh, was not lights out yesterday, but did did enough. It's a sign of how bad he's been that that performance yesterday felt like meaningful progress because it wasn't that good. No, a lot of walks got hit hard early. Yeah. But at least he was getting some swing and miss. Like that's been the problem with Manoa. Like he had to get eight strikeouts. Yeah. The slider that they on the broadcast, Dan and Buck spent quite a bit of time talking about the late life. That was a, that was a theme throughout the, (laughs) throughout the telecast. Cause it has been, a rough go watching Manoa as a Jays fan this year. And obviously he was down in the minors for a little while, not that long. Could have been longer, probably. But there's something just so so aggravating about watching a pitcher who can't put guys away. You know what I mean? Who just doesn't have the stuff to get hitters out when it's two strikes. And then what what ends up happening, and this has been happening with Manoa, is you're nibbling, right? You're afraid to go into the zone because you don't have the stuff to to make somebody swing and miss. Yeah. So you're throwing tons of balls because you're trying to pick the corner. You know, if you're if you're even an inch onto the plate, you're worried that they're going to drive it. Yeah. It's extremely extremely aggravating to watch. It's one of the most annoying, most like least pleasant things I think to watch as a sports fan is a starting pitcher struggle. And especially one who struggles over and over and over again. Because then every fifth day, you're like, hey, okay, great. There's a Jays game on. You're like, oh, it's Manoa. Yeah. This is going to be tough. And it's not <laughs> just be tough. getting lit up. Like, there's one thing. Yeah, it's one thing. It's, it's like, oh, he threw a couple bad pitches. Just Whatever, it happens. Smoked. Yeah. But it's when you can't find the zone. I mean, the Mariners starter, Brian Wu, was doing what Manoa did last year. Just painting corners, yeah. throwing off speeds. 
like and you know he ends up on the the, the losing end uh but it wasn't a particularly high scoring game especially no. compared to some of the games earlier in the series yeah and i mean shout out to uh to oscar hernandez for getting a couple big hits against uh against his old team i am curious and if we did have any listeners who are down in seattle for the series series i'm curious what the atmosphere was like in the stadium in seattle because it feels like there's a little more edge to this now. And I, I like I wouldn't go as far to call it a rivalry, but I feel like maybe it's getting there a little bit. Obviously, the playoff matchup helps. The fact that Teoscar Hernandez is there now and he came up big in this series, that helps. But I remember going to this series back in, like, I don't know, maybe 2010, 2011. And as a Jays fan, it was still packed with Jays fans. But it was an, an intensely friendly atmosphere. Like, this was not, like oh, there's edge between the Mariners fans and the Jays fans at Safeco at the time, right? Like, it was like, oh, hey, we're all just here having fun watching baseball, right? And, like, yeah, there's a lot of Jays fans, but it wasn't wasn't angry. It was not, like, a rivalry atmosphere. It feels like it's going more in that direction a little bit. And I'd be curious to hear from, from people who were down there if there is a little bit more of that edge to it where it's, you know, maybe it's because Mariners fans are tired of the invasion. Maybe it is because they met in the playoffs. Uh, maybe it's because both teams are having a bit of disappointing seasons and they're just generally angry <laughs> at everything. But it does feel a little bit like there's a little bit more juice beyond just like, oh, hey, everyone came down and, and is having fun uh, oh, there's down no in the building. Doubt. There's no doubt. There has been a shift over the years. I think it starts with the invasion. Yeah. And you can go look back probably three, four, five years for that to be the starting point. And then the Mariners fans have – the playoff series last year to hold yep. over the Blue Jays. And like, that's the Mar- Mariners fans have not had a lot to cheer. No, I mean, 20 they had, years. Like, that have been there. They hadn't. And I think you go back to, you know, let's say like 2011 or 2012 or something, you know, at that point, the Jays hadn't been in the playoffs nope. in forever. You know, the Mariners were, hadn't been in, in the playoffs in a long time. Like mm-hmm. both teams were kind of irrelevant. Yeah. So it's hard to have that much. There was hate. no animosity. It's like, well, what, what, what are we going to get angry at each other? Like, neither of us are doing anything. You know what I mean? We're not going to win anything. And now you meet in the playoffs. The Jays, since 2015, I know there was a fallow period, but they've been in this run where you expect them to at least be competitive. Well, and right? even the fallow period didn't stop people from going to Seattle. Yeah. Like, this has been a consistent thing now for getting close to 15 years and really strong since 2013. Yeah. And now with the Mariners finally making the playoffs, winning the series against the Jays in very dramatic fashion, you have Julio Rodriguez, like something to get really, really excited about as a young player. You're expecting, you're not expecting it to be a one-off, right? Like, it's not like, oh, hey, okay, we made the playoffs after 20 years. Great. Now we're fine with whatever. Like, you want to build on that. They haven't necessarily been able to uh, this year. So I think both teams actually have expectations now. Both teams want to do something. The fans expect them to do something. I think it's great. I mean, I enjoyed the atmosphere before when it was really just like, oh, hey, we're all baseball fans. We're all just hanging out, having a beer. Yeah, it was much more of a party. Yeah, exactly. It was like a baseball convention, (laughs) a Pacific Northwest baseball convention. Like, hey, we're all here. Let's just have a beer and hang out together. I enjoy it going more in the in the direction of no, no, no. We actually don't like each other. That's good. (laughs) That's good. That can only make it more fun. Um, If the Mariners were having a better season, then I could see it getting a little bit uh, more of a rivalry this season. It felt like a little off this year. Yeah, and I mean, who, I, I'm sure there would have been plenty of uh, M's fans who were who were ex- who would have been stoked if they could have completed the sweep uh, as they did last year. Surrey Ryan says Jays fans and M's fans partnered up to take on the Swifties 
Yeah, it was a big day in Seattle. Taylor Swift going on right after uh, or sometime after the uh, the Mariners and the Jays. Uh, and Minor Matt Abbotsford says uh, Softy Mahler would probably disagree according to his most recent hit with Halbro. Apparently, he doesn't think too highly of Canadians when they invade the Mariners games. Uh, now he doesn't. But again, I don't know if like in 2011 and 2012, if Mariners fans were getting really upset that Jays fans were invading their stadium. I think that's more of a newer thing. You know what I mean? To this extent, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, I I went to, I think, 2011. Yeah. It was an early season series, weekday. It wasn't super packed. It, like, now it's become part of the calendar. Yeah. It's pretty much always you a circle weekend it. series. Yeah. It's in the summer. You're going to get the, the fans. Like, the, the, the league has caught on that this is a big deal. And back then, it was not quite the same but yep. there were fans that were making the trip yeah you're right it used to be sometimes like a midweek series yeah, yeah. Like i i was i left school like i skipped school to go well to jay's mariners <laughs> out of boy out of boy izzy that's the commitment the commitment to academic excellence the statute of that has you where you are passed. now yeah 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 i didn't need to izzy, be in yeah, geology class he's like it paid off for me right guys <laughs> and look at me now <laughs> Uh, it was a fun series. Uh, all right. Anyways, uh, that was the uh, that was uh, the Jays salvaging a win against the Mariners down in Seattle. Uh, as we continue to go around the sports world in what happened here locally, how about the BC Lions beating the Saskatchewan Rough Riders nineteen to nine in front of a big crowd at BC Place? Lions now five and one, first place in the Western Conference. Uh, they have the best defense in the league, far and away the best scoring defense in the CFL, which thankfully I was able to uh, discover despite the CFL not having a functioning live stats page after seven weeks of their season, which is a whole other subject. <laughs> but uh, I'm really impressed with the Lions this season so far on and off the field, right? And obviously last you go back to last year with the Lions. They rightfully got a lot of praise for the work they they did, for the work that new owner Amar Doman did to engage with fans, to get people out to BC Place, to kind of reignite the fandom for the Lions in this city. And he did deserve all of that praise. Now, the caveat for me was always, you did a lot of good work marketing and getting people in, but you also had Nathan Rourke. You also had the number one card you would want to market in the CFL, which was an elite Canadian quarterback, right? If you could choose anything, any one thing to market in the CFL, that's what you would choose, an elite Canadian quarterback. And they had that. So they had a huge leg up. Doesn't mean they weren't doing good work. It just means they were starting from a very advantageous position. This year, you don't have that. And you know what? They've kept that momentum going. I'm really impressed that they've been able to do it, that they've been able to keep people engaged without the hook of Nathan Rourke, without that kind of easy selling point of come watch this guy who's incredibly good and happens to be Canadian. Because you know, they're not doing it with their offense this year, right? It's been their defense that's been winning them games. But like full credit to them for sticking with the plan to market, sticking with the plan to get the fans back, and also putting a good product on the field, right? And it's not the same product. It's not high-flying offensive success, right? It was 19-9 in a CFL game. That's very low scoring. But they're winning. They're 5-1. and one. They're one of the best teams in the league. And I think if you have, if you have that combination, you're going to continue to see people get more invested in this team, right? If it's if the, with the confidence of local ownership doing what Amaro Doman has done mm -hmm. and – 
a winning product, there's no reason they can't continue this. Like this, this can be sustainable for them. You do have to have that winning that winning product on the field, though. Ultimately, I think you do. Uh, I think Rourke brought a lot of people back last summer when, yeah, pretty much week after week, he's setting CFL yeah, he's putting records on a show, yeah, in throwing four or five touchdowns a game. And they weathered his injury, and then to come back and, like you said, Jamie, put a strong product on the field. Yep. And heading into the season, reading the CFL insiders, the thought was that they had improved the defense a lot, mm-hmm. and that they had put themselves in a position to maintain um, a high level of play, and they weren't going to have to be reliant on quarterback play to win some of these shootouts that they did last season and like the thing that with the lions that i find interesting is you can go back and look at the attendance numbers from when the cfl was a bigger league than it is now Mm -hmm. and i think the truth is is that all sports leagues are cut down a little bit because there's just so many options now. there's so much competition but even in the 90s in the 2000s what happened with the lions is they would have steady crowds in the early parts of the season Mm mm-hmm and then if they were good and they were good enough to play, say, in a West final at home, mm-hmm. that's when they would get 60,000 yep. people. They weren't getting 60,000 people no. in July. That's never that's never going to be a realistic standard that you're going to And the numbers have that. dropped. Yeah. You know, they were getting 20 instead of 30 or 35. But can they still build up to, hey, we're going to be in a West final. Yep. Can we get 50, 60,000 people? I, I think they can. I think especially now that it's not, it feel because they're doing it for a second year in a row, it feels less like a novelty, right? It feels less like it's a one-off, like, oh, hey, I'll, maybe I'll check out the Lions. I'm, I'm interested in them again, and it feels more sustainable. So I think if they are one of the top teams in the league going in, as you said, like hosting a Western Conference final, hosting a playoff game, I would expect a pretty significant turnout. They've they've been getting it. I've been talking to people like, oh hey, I took my kids to the Lions mm-hmm. game on the weekend. Like it feels more just so much more on people's radar than it was it, obviously before Amar Doman took over. And again, doing it without Nathan Rourke is really impressive. And I, I mean I, I just keep coming back to you can do all of the marketing and the social media work and the concerts and all of that. If the team is losing, if this team was the Edmonton Elks on the Ooh. field, Ooh. <laughs> it'd be like, oh, okay, the concert was cool. I'm not going back to a Lions game. You might have some people just going to hate watch, though, just to see, you the, might. see the train wreck. Like, you how might, bad like, can it get? It, none of the engagement stuff ultimately matters if your team is bad. And I think especially when you're not the number one sport in a city. And not just any city. like Not just Vancouver, I mean. That goes for any city. If you're yeah. not the number one option... You can do all of the clever marketing you work. It's not or marketing that you want. It's not going to matter if you don't back it up with a really good product. And you know, this is a bit. Of, this is obviously a very different comparison. But I was thinking about this a little bit yesterday. I woke up. I was watching the the open, and I flipped over to uh, the F one Grand Prix that was going on. And you know, like like a lot of people during the pandemic, at a certain point, I watched drive one, and I thought I'd flip over and see what's going on. And you know. It's been hard for me to sustain my interest because the product isn't that good. And like F1, they had one of the greatest sports marketing successes of all time with Drive to Survive, but they haven't been able to hold my interest because when I turn on a race, it's, oh yeah, Max Verstappen is 30 seconds ahead. And it's like halfway through the race. And it's like, okay, great, cool. There's zero drama. There's zero reason for me to remain entertained by this product. 
it's cool that you had a really fun series that, that you know, introduced me to the personalities and everything, but it doesn't count unless you back it up with something actually entertaining, right? Something that people can really hold on to, and that's what the Lions have been able to do. For sure. And it, they've done a nice job. The uniforms are, you know, a big upgrade, I think, over what they'd worn for a long time. And it does line up with an improvement on the field, yeah. which is ultimately all people that's what, that's, are looking it has to, the, the, the has to be the bottom line there. It has to be entertaining football, or at least winning football at the very least. This text comes in 650-650 uh, to the Dunbar-Lumber text line. I'd be more concerned about the league being sustainable, lots of struggling franchises. It is fascinating because if you take a CFL-wide point of view, there's lots that you could be very concerned about, right? Whether it's the stats whether it's like a marquee franchise like the Edmonton Elks being yeah. completely uh, a complete disaster right the now. Toronto problem. The Lions are really the good good news story yeah. in the CFL. Like they are without a doubt the best thing happening in the CFL right now. And it's a really impressive achievement uh, for the BC Lions. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the best. 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 Halford and Bruff. I'm very, very excited to be joined by our next guest. Excited anytime I get to talk to our next guest, but especially right now, where not only are we about a week away from the Major League Baseball trade deadline, but also massive weekend in the world of movies today. And to talk about that, all of that, uh, he is from the MLB Network and also the host of the Cinephile Podcast, our guy Adnan Verk. Adnan, thanks as always for doing this. How are you? Uh, Jamie, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Good to talk with you in Israel, as always. And, yeah, lots of great baseball to talk about. I'm sure we're going to dive into Barbenheimer at some point, too. I, I, I'm going to start there, honestly, because, uh, you know, it was it was a big uh, – the buzz around these two movies was really, really impressive. Now, I haven't had a chance to see either Barbie or Oppenheimer. Have you had a chance to see one or both of them so far, Adnan? Yeah, I dove into both this week, and I was not uh... – I find it very peculiar, all these people who want to do Barbenheimer in one day. I just had no appetite for it, and quite <laughs> frankly, no resources, because with four kids, yes. I can just leave my wife for six hours. I'm just going to go watch a couple of movies. But e- even on its own merit, I'm like, no, but there's such different movies. Why would I want to cram them into one session? You know, it's so rare to get these kind of movies at the theater, which are original, even though it's based on IP, intellectual property. Bar- Barbie's obviously a doll, but there's never been a movie like this, and obviously Oppenheimer's an original creation from Nolan. I'm like, no, no. When I get these kind of movies, I want to soak it in on one day individually. So, oddly, though, I would have said I'm all the team Oppenheimer, but I had the Saturday off, and a friend of mine really wanted to see Oppenheimer with me. We'd seen Dunkirk together, mm-hmm. so I never do this. Normally, I couldn't care less, but who I see it, I just see it by myself. But my wife really wanted to see Barbie, so oddly, I actually saw Barbie first, which I saw Saturday afternoon, and then I saw Oppenheimer last night and IMAX after the uh, the Hall of Fame ceremonies, which I was uh, doing stuff for MLB Network. So, Really cool. Um, let's go Oppenheimer first. I, I thought it was incredible. I, I, I went in with sky-high expectations, as I always do for Christopher Nolan movies, and I'd seen the 94% Rotten Tomatoes. I said, well, don't get swayed by that. Just watch it on its own merit, and I thought it was just fabulous. It's very densely plotted. It's intricate. It's very talky. In, in those ways, it's unlike some of other Nolan's films. I think people who may love, let's say, Inception of the Dark Knight may not cling to Oppenheimer. This is the first time he's made a really true biography. But as somebody who appreciates history, historical epics, and still, of course, he's going to give you tons of Nolan showmanship and razzle-dazzle, particularly that scene where they're building the atomic bomb, I thought it was fascinating. And the highest compliment I can pay it is after the movie's over, not only am I still thinking about it today, but I want to go read up as much as I can about the real Oppenheimer and the 
the characters who Robert Denny Jr. is playing and Jason Clark and Emily Blunt and all the other characters. So uh, I thought it was tremendous. It really was. And, and it, it demands to be seen on the big screen. I had a friend of mine who messaged me, so I might watch it on a plane. I said, are you insane? I said, no one would be aghast at the idea of you watching a plane. I said, you got to, I paid $24. I watched it in IMAX. You've got to go see it on the biggest screen possible. I don't know if I'll have time to see it the second time on the big screen, but if I could, I would. Uh, and Barbie, listen, the first half I thought was light and frilly. I thought the second half started to get a little preachy, a little ham-handed, but it was definitely unique and uh, a little strange, which I appreciate it. Greta Gerwig's a really talented writer-director. I love Lady Bird. I thought Little Women was a really good adaptation. So I knew with a director like that, it was going to be different. This was not just going to be an advertisement for Barbie. And it's a really good cast, Margot Robbie. Obviously, I, I thought Ryan Gosling's role is tough, because not to give anything away, but men are kind of demonized in the movie. So he's kind of <laughs> playing the bad guy here. And I thought Gosling did a really good job of you know, showing the dopey Ken and how he believes in patriarchy and men should rule the world and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> listen, I, I have to say all of that with a grain of salt is saying, I'm clearly not the Barbie audience. I walked in. Everyone is 15-year-old girls. And I said, okay, this movie is not made for a 44-year-old man. But if I can judge it as a film critic and separate from, from my own prism, like I'm not going to watch Barbie again. I wouldn't want to see Barbie with anybody. But for that target audience and what it's trying to accomplish, I thought it was different and unique. And I, I thought it was all right. I, I would say uh, I went in with small expectations. It was better than expected. And, and Oppenheimer, I had high expectations. And they exceeded them if such a thing as possible. You, so you mentioned uh, the Barbie crowd uh, and, and a lot of younger girls. Uh, the Oppenheimer crowd, I'm, I'm sure, was was not like that. But it, I think it shows that <laughs> this weekend there was something for, for everybody. Did you notice that? I know you, you watch tons of movies. Oh, yeah. You go to the theater often. Did you notice a specific vibe of both days that you were there for, for these two movies to, to get people back to the theaters and uh, at least enjoying these two movies or, or taking in these two cultural phenomenons, really? No, 100% of Jules, and that was something that I was really happy to see. Like with the Barbie movie, um, I'd bought the tickets for Oppenheimer on Tuesday for last night. So, you know, think about Sunday, 6.30 show. And at that time, it was already like 80% sold out. I said, wow, that's incredible. Like I know IMAX, there's less theaters and, mm. and less seating. But still, I mean, to, to be already close to selling out five days in advance on a Sunday night is pretty shocking. And for Barbie, my wife wanted to see it with a couple other couples. And she said, what if it sells out? I said, no, my, my local theater here at Ridgewood, New Jersey never sells out. And I was like, oh, let me just go check just in case. And sure enough, I bought tickets on the Friday for Saturday. And they said the Friday night show, it was sold out, 740 to 5 o'clock, close to selling. And I said, wow, I've been here living here four years. I've never heard of a movie selling out. So I was just thrilled to see, uh, as you said, a guy who sees so many movies in the theater and a real genuine cinephile and a movie lover to see people going to the movies in droves. But yeah, the audience. And by the way, I did get into the groove. I wore a pink golf shirt and pink shorts. And my wife said, I think it's a little there bit too you much. Go. Are you kidding? What? I, I said, when else can I wear pink to a movie? And I'm <laughs> totally going to fit in. I was, I was clearly the oldest person in the theater by a mile. Again, it was all 16-year-old girls. And then me showing up all pink. But I said, when, when she wanted to post it, I said, no, no, we're not going to post this on social media. That's going too far. But I will wear all pink. Um, but yeah, it was great to just see, like I said, a theater pack. And often I have a crowd much different. I was thrilled and elated. My whole night was made. I was waiting in line for some chicken tenders, and the guy said to me, Adnan, I said, yeah, he goes, I'm a huge fan of Cinephile. I said, oh, my God, thank you for listening to my podcast. So I already I was thrilled that somebody was listening to my pod about to go see Oppenheimer. So, but, yeah, definitely crowd, more male audience for sure, I would say more. But, again, age group wasn't as much. I mean, he was probably in his early 20s, and obviously I'm in my mid-40s. So that, that crowd was definitely all over the place, but definitely more male-heavy, whereas the, the Barbie crowd was a bunch of screaming young girls. But, thankfully, they, they weren't like uh, – they weren't like, disruptive. Like I've seen movies <laughs> with my kids, it's super right. Like, I've seen like Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. And it's like no, the kids are disruptive. You can't enjoy the movies; they're too damn loud. The girls were, were well behaved, so to speak. They're just enjoying their Barbie. Um, that, that's good to hear. Um, so 
I mean, there has been a lot of talk, and I'll just do one more movie question before we get into the actual sports here, but there has been a lot of talk, you know, because we're so used to the era of Hollywood and, you know, reboots and sequels and superhero movies, et cetera, et cetera. And look, as you said, these are, you know, these are based on IP. Certainly Barbie, obviously, and Oppenheimer is a a, a well-known uh, individual that's a, bi- a biopic here. But there's been a lot of talk that this is kind of maybe going to be pointing towards a new direction for Hollywood. Are you buying that at all, that we're going to see maybe more original big-time movies like this get made? I don't know if I go to that extent. I mean, we're still in a Hollywood where, if you look at the top two movies from last year, the vast majority are sequels, right, which is what is always yeah. so offensive to me because you, you rarely are going to get a sequel that's any good. I mean, with the exception, it always points out, well, Godfather 2, okay, yeah, there's one every 50 years, yeah. Godfather 2, fine, Empire Strikes Back, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, sure. Like, there's a few that are actually good. I got that. But generally speaking, you're talking about Caddyshack 2. Like, once you, once you go to the second one, it's going to be watered down and, and, and not nearly as impressive. And, you know, I've just always said of superhero movies. My brother loves superhero movies. And, of course, my kids love superhero movies. And I've got nothing personal against them, but I'm on Team Scorsese. I just find them overly saturated. There's just so many of them after a while. It just kind of blends together, except to make an original one. And of course, silly me, the one that I actually liked was The Flash, and that one didn't do well at the box office. Maybe I just loved Michael Keaton and seeing him back as Batman. But um, no, I, I don't think you're going to see this. That's why I think this is such an anomaly. Like mm. It's so rare to see. Again, no one's the kind of filmmaker that has a $100 million budget. He's making a historical epic about a guy from 80 years ago. Like That movie's not getting greenlit by anybody unless you're Christopher Nolan. My favorite director, of course, Martin Scorsese. The trailer last night was for Killers of the Flower Moon, which I'm counting down the days until October. You know, only Marty is getting a $200 million budget for a story about the Osage Indians and their massacre and making it the first ever Western of his career in his 80s because he's got DiCaprio and De Niro and, of course, a, a lifetime of, of brilliance. So but those are really, really exceptions. You know, generally speaking, Hollywood is going to keep just cranking out these cookie-cutter sequels and as much of these superhero movies as they can. The only thing that will really change it is if these superhero movies really start to, to, to disappoint. Now, we've seen that a little bit, right? The Rocks movie, Black Adam, was a disappointment. The Flash was definitely a disappointment. So if you get a few too many turkeys in a row, they're like, you know what? We're not going to keep greenlighting these $200 million movies if we're not making our money back. Mm. But Hollywood is nothing if not recycled blockbusters. So it's not going to change anytime soon, which is, again, why we should appreciate seeing movies like Barbie and Oppenheimer being in theaters at the same time. We're talking to Adnan Burke here on Halford and Brough of the MLB Network and the Cinephile Podcast. Uh, got Had to get our movie talk in, but we will move on to actual sports now, Adnan. So we're about a week away, just over a week away, from the trade deadline in Major League Baseball. Obviously, the number one talking point is whether the Angels will actually do it, actually go through with it, and potentially trade Shohei Otani. From where we stand right now, wh- wh- where would you put the likelihood of an Otani trade? I like how you phrased it, because the question I keep getting asked last week and half is, is he going to get traded? And I just quickly say no. So I like when you say, what's the likelihood? At least I can, <laughs> I can give myself a little bit of breathing room. So I'll say 20% that okay. he gets traded. Now, if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said you know zero. But I really do think Artie Moreno's got to sit down there and pick really hard with Freddie Menage, the GM of the Angels, and go, are we actually going to get in the playoffs? Because I, I don't think we are. Now, you can fool yourself into thinking so, but when you look at the playoff races right now, I think the Orioles and the Rays both get in. I think the Rangers win the West. Whoever the central winner is, who cares, right? Twins or Guardians. It's going to be one team there. Yep. So you're fighting for two spots. Now, defending champion is Houston Astros. Jordan Alvarez, obviously, they're missing in for a while. They've got issues with their starting pitch. They're a little bit vulnerable. But the other defending champions, you've got the Blue Jays. Just, you know, one against the Mariners. Maybe Manoa's back. I think a really talented team, especially when you look at their offense. I feel like the Jays should be in there. There's only two spots. Now you've got the Yankees. Who are the Yankees? Aaron Judge is probably coming back, I believe, in the next week to 10 days. He's the second best player in baseball behind Otani. 
And clearly with him in there, they're a much different team. So in two months of judge there, is that enough to propel them into the playoffs? And the Red Sox, don't sleep on them. They're two games back. Their offense is robust. My buddy Alex Cora is always getting the best out of this team. And they're getting Sale back at some point. They're getting Garrett Whitlock back at some point. So for the Angels, do you really think you're going to knock out one of those four teams? I don't think you are. So you have to say to yourself, we're going to lose him for nothing. Now, I don't think Artie Moreno wants to go to bed at night. I don't think he wants on his tombstone. I was the guy that traded Shohei Otani, one of the greatest players in the history of the sport. Mm. I think if he rides it out with Otani, on a four-year contract, he twice won MVP, and he'll still take huge sellout crowds the rest of the two months of the season. He'll take whatever merchandising he's getting from Japan, et cetera, and just ride this thing out. And think at least in his head, you know what? It's not a set of comp plays in a league. Like, I can resign him. This isn't like the Rays where you're just destined to say, honestly, we can't afford this guy, it's over. Sure. The Angels can afford him, and they can pay him. And there's a chance that he would resign. And so I think Moreno might say, you know what? I think we could make the playoffs, as small as that chance is. And I do think I have a chance at resigning him. And if I trade him, Otani very much is a creature of comfort. Everything I've heard is that if he goes somewhere for two months and he likes it, that really does give that team a huge leg up. So why would he want to give another team a leg up if he really feels in his heart he can resign Otani and he's got the money? So because of that, I, I just don't see it happening. Now, the 20% stems from if they go on a seven-game losing streak, because you know what? We have no chance. And guess what? I could always resign him anyways. Like, I, I'll trade him with the Dodgers or the Giants or the Rays or the Braves, and I could always make a huge run at him in the offseason. But I, I think ultimately, if you trade a guy, think of it like a relationship. If you break up with a girl and say, well, in a couple months, you might get back together, that breakup stings. <laughs> you know what I mean? No matter what, you casting her aside for a couple months is going to hurt. So if you trade Otani, I don't think it would hurt his feelings, but it would definitely be a sign that you may not be the guy that is our long-term answer because we don't know if we can afford you. We don't know if you want to stay here, et cetera. I just don't see it happening. But honestly, it's better for the sport if he does because yes. it's all we're going to keep talking about for the next week and a <laughs> half. And if he does get treated August 1st, that would be an incredible story for the team that gets the biggest story in baseball. Well, let's lean into that 20% then because he's obviously an incredible player. His last three seasons are about as unbelievable as anything we've seen in the sport, and yet the Angels are still a mediocre team. But for two months, if he comes over to a contending team and he's going to pitch and he's going to hit every day, what kind of impact could he have? Could he, could, would, would he be the best rental a team has ever had? I think so. I mean, because the way he's playing, he's, he's putting up one of the greatest seasons, arguably the greatest season in baseball history. Like, I was in the studio last night, as I mentioned, that when I saw him go deep, that 36th home run, like, you know, every at-bat is, is must-be TV because you don't know what he's going to do. He's on pace for 60 home runs. He's going to challenge Judge's American League home run record set just a year ago. And his numbers are better than Judge in every other category. Like, Judge hit 285. Well, Tony's hit 307. Like, that's appreciably better. And my friend and, and teammate Dan Plesik said to me, of all the numbers that's impressive, that's one that's shocking because most sluggers can hit 50 home runs, but like Pete Alonso is hitting 210, whereas Otani's still hitting for average. Like it's insane to hit that high. Oh, and by the way, he might strike out 220 batters. So I think any team that gets him says, all right, this guy's going to give us at least down the stretch. If you do the math, we're looking at least, what, six to eight starts, and he's going to be every day in the DH. Like that's, that's a pretty sizable impact, especially if you're a team right now battling for a playoff spot. Like, the Dodgers right now are in first place in the West. And I do think ultimately when it's all said and done, he's going to be a Dodger. I don't think the LA would trade him. I think in the offseason he's going to sign with the Dodgers. They can give him 12 years, $660 million. That's my prediction. And by the way, I think Steve Cohn will say, I don't care of the Mets. I'll give him another $100 million more. Like he'll, he'll, <laughs> he will press a seven on that. He'll go, okay, what's, like, he will tell Otani's camp, tell me what the best offer is. And we'll go, okay, Mariners went 
10 for six and, you know, LA went 12 for six. I'll go, okay, I'll give you a hundred million dollars more. Like what? He's like, yeah, I don't care. I'll, I'll blow it under the water. I'll go 15 years, 750. How does that sound? Like he does not care. So I think if it's just a matter of money, Steve Cohen was not going to be denied. But again, the answer to your question is, yeah, I think just where he goes, of course, he'd make a huge impact down the stretch, especially because the teams that are being rumored are all teams in the playoff hunt. They would just get better. This isn't like he's going to the Padres or the outset looking in. Like if he goes anywhere, it's Dodgers mm. who are already awesome. The Rays, who have been awesome but have now been slipping, so you almost feel like the Rays could use a boost. They, they kind of need no Tani right now. They've lost 12 or 15 games. They're the worst team in baseball in July. The Orioles just took three or four against them. The Braves already loaded. Mariners is one that people keep throwing out there. I just don't see it. Like, they do have a collection of really good young pitching talent, and the story of you know the first great Japanese star in Ichiro now kind of passing the torch to Otani. Like, I get it. But at the end of the day, I still feel like that's not really in, in Seattle's MO to make that kind of an aggressive trade. DePoto likes to make moves, but I don't think he'll sell the farm to get Otani. But, yeah, if he gets traded, it would be, be amazing to see down the stretch. Well, and, and that's part of it, right? And you're talking about the potential contract he could get, and that's going to be unprecedented. And one of the reasons I agree with you that I, I would put the likelihood of him being traded at relatively low is – it's just hard to kind of envision what the return package would be because we've never seen a player like this move. And the theoretical prospect cost or the, you know, young roster players cost uh, would be so astronomical. Like it, it's just it's going to be very difficult in practice, I think, to pull off a trade like this. Yeah, I was thinking, like, what, what would the trade actually look like? And uh, I was talking to my friend Joel Schubert of the New York Post. He said, well, we at least have the Soto trade as a benchmark, right? So they offered him 440, turned it down, which now feels foolish. And they ended up getting C.J. Abrams, who's a stud. I just spoke to him the other day. He's a really nice guy, having a really nice season for the Nationals. He stepped it up. Mackenzie Gore's a very good young pitcher. So I think you'd look at, like, I would say three top ten prospects and two everyday players. Like, I think it's a five for one. Because you're getting only two months of the guy. Like, it is mm. a rental. But he's one of the greatest players in the history of the sport. So I, I think you'd get three top ten prospects in your farm system and two everyday players, and maybe the agents to throw somebody back just to make the money work and stuff. Bo Porter, the former Astros manager, whatever analyst at MLB Network, he still has the best idea I've heard, which was a month ago. He said, if you want Otani, you can have him. And by the way, it's going to be five for one, but you also got to take Rendon. I said, that's incredible. Uh, He's like, the Angels, you could just reset your organization. You go, yeah. I can just remove myself of this $250 million albatross of Owen Rendon's contract, who hasn't played since July 4th. It's been an absolute disappointment. It's going to be one of the worst contracts in the history of baseball. Great. You've got money, right? You're going to give Otani $600 million? Well, why not? Here's a log in the fire. Here's 250 to give Rendon. Oh, and I want your prospects, too. That's a trade I would make. If I was already Marino, I'd go, okay, fine. You want an Otani? I get three top prospects, two everyday players, and you take Rendon. Then fine, I'll do it. You mentioned the Mets and, and Steve Cohen. Uh, is it fair to say, Adnan, that uh, beyond the Angels and Otani, they are a team with a particular interest to watch over the, the week here, heading toward the deadline because of the veteran players that they have, the disappointment, uh, the disappointing season that they've had, and uh, the, the fact that they have an owner who clearly is not afraid to spend money or throw money in, in different directions? I don't really think they're the team to watch right now because the problem is they don't have enough good prospects. So... If you look at these teams that have like the rich farm systems, it's your Dodgers with their young pitching, it's the Mariners with young pitching, it's the Rays with the position players. It's you know, Baltimore actually has a ton of great young hitters. They've got like eight top one hitters in the top one hundred. Like those are the teams I'd be worried about as far as stealing Otani. For the Mets, Francisco Alvarez looks like a stud. Their catcher is, is awesome. He'd have to be involved in a trade and he could be a guy who's a great catcher for the next ten years. 
After that, Brett Beatty's okay. Like he's, he's been an average third baseman. They called up Mark Vientos this year. He's been a disappointment. They don't have much, and they don't have any pitching prospects. And the biggest thing the Angels need is pitching. Every single year we go, man, the Angels need some pitching, especially if they trade Otani, who's their best pitcher, and a top-five pitcher in the American League. So I actually don't look at the Mets for the next week and a half because I don't know what Steve Cohn can do. I mean, he, he would literally give you everybody he could because he's aggressive and he's fearless, but I just don't think they have any prospects that, that tantalizes the Angels. The Mets, to me, are more focused when the season's over, and that's when Cohen can back up the truck and go, Dude, I'll give you whatever you want. You're going to own New York City. I'll give you $700 million. Let's make this work. <laughs> so, Otani, obviously, the biggest name for, for very many obvious reasons. What are some of the other individual players that you're watching who could uh, who could be interesting names to move ahead of the trade deadline? Yeah, I think the best pitcher that can be moved is Marcus Stroman. He's top five right now in ERA. Of course, we know him from his time in Toronto. I heard some whispers when I'm going to Toronto. I said, there's no way. The guy, like, literally crapped all over the GM, the organization, on his way out of town. So <laughs> I can't imagine him back as a Blue Jay, as much as I liked him, and I, and I do like him as a pitcher. He's terrific at keeping the ball on the ground, specifically, which really plays at Rogers Center. But he's having a great year. He's going to opt out of a – he's got a three-year, $71 million contract going into the final year of his deal. He is going to opt out. He's going to get at least 25, if not $30 million a year. He could get five years, $150 million. So he's definitely opting out. So whoever gets Stroman, I'd love to see Baltimore. I'm really pushing hard for the Orioles because Camden Yards is arguably my favorite ballpark. I love going there. It's only a three-hour drive. So I, I'm hoping the O's can make some noise here, come playoff time. And they've got such a fun, exciting team. Gunnar Henderson's an absolute blast. Ali Rutschman's a superstar. Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander. Like, if they get some pitching, watch out. So I – I'm hoping somehow they can deal some of those young hitters they have. Colton Cowles is a really good prospect. You know, trade those guys and try to get Marcus Stroman there because he would really fit them well. Their starting pitching is really a weakness overall for Baltimore. Cody Bellinger is the other guy who's having an amazing resurgence. He's a great guy. Met him a few years back when he won the MVP. He's hit like 203 over the last three years. But he's back. He's been resurgent with the Cubs. And you've got to think Brian Cashman is burning up the phone right now to get him to New York. I just picture Bellinger in New York with that short fortune right. He could do some awfully good damage and help them out the DH position. Their offense has been really worrisome without Judge. You know, they're averaging under 3.6 runs per game, which is just paltry. And in this day and age, you can't win games like that. So I think Bellinger, best position player, Stroman, best pitcher available not named Otani. You know, you mentioned the Orioles there, and uh, as you said earlier, they, they go in and they win the series against the Rays. All of a sudden, they're two games up in the AL East. Can they hold off Tampa and not just make the playoffs, but win the division here? I think so. And, and the reason why is, again, that, that quintet of young stars that I mentioned. You know, Rutch really is their leader and their figurehead, but Gunnar Henderson's really come on strong, really cool name. As I said to him, you know, with a name like that, you knew you were going to be something special. He's, he's got to be good with a name yeah, like yes, that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. He's from Alabama. So everything's yes, sir. No, sir. But he's a, he's a fantastic player. He's awfully fun to watch. I think he's going to be top three in the rookie of the year, bowling there with Matsutake Yoshida and Josh Young of the Rangers. But Kowser, I just mentioned, got called up. They have high expectations for him. Their bullpen, by the way, is fantastic. And you can always really good. And Felix Bautista is lights out, like .94 ERA. I don't think he's given up a run now in 28 straight innings. He might get some Cy Young votes. That's how good he's been as the close of the Orioles. He comes out, by the way, to the whistle from the wire. I asked him about that. I said, are you familiar with the wire? He said, no, no, but everyone told me about Omar coming and all this stuff. So, yeah, he comes out there. They, they, they turn out the lights, and he comes out to the whistle stop of the wire. It's like Omar coming. It's so cool. It's one of the coolest things out going. So, yeah, their back end of their bullpen's amazing. Their position players are good. It's just they're starting pitching. They've only got two guys, Radish and Wells, who I would consider legit stars. The other guys are just like band-aids. So they – 
they desperately need a starting pitcher. But yeah, they can win that division. There's no doubt about it. But that that response in Tampa to me was noteworthy. And Tampa's really right now. They're three and twelve yeah. in July. They've got to turn things around. What's happened is their offense has just gone south. Every single one of their big players was overachieving. They've all fallen back down to earth. Juan Franco, Randy Lozarena, Yanni Diaz—the only guy who's been consistent. So they they need to get their bats going. But yeah, I could see Baltimore in that division. But I do think Tampa makes the playoffs. And Tampa very much doing what New York did a year ago. Remember the Yankees had an incredible first half, and we said are they going to be better than the '98 Yankees? Then they slumped terribly, mm. barely made the playoffs, and, and eventually got ousted. So similar kind of story with the Rays. Got off to an epic start, and now they're really floundering. Adnan, appreciate the time as always, man. You hit it all. Heimer to Otani. We, we appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Jamie Israel. Thank you so much, fellas. Appreciate it. Go enjoy Barbenheimer. Thank you. <laughs> that, that, is, that is Adnan Verk uh, of MLB Network and the Cinephile podcast. Yeah, as Adnan said, like I, I also have kids, so it's hard for me to uh, you know go to the movie theaters. Working this schedule, I'm, I'm planning to hit a matinee at some point this week by myself, as Adnan prefers as well. Uh, I got to be honest, it's probably going to be Oppenheimer. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested <laughs> to see Barbie. I'm curious. But I got to prioritize, so it's probably going to be Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer's a, the longer commitment, anyway. That's true. Three hours. I'm seeing it today at IMAX in uh, Richmond, and this is the first Ooh. first IMAX movie I've seen. Well, actually, I saw Top Gun on IMAX, but I rarely ever, ever see films in IMAX just because it's quite a ways off from, from, sure. from where I live. But yep. if there is one movie you watch in IMAX, you got to do it at Oppenheimer. The whole movie was filmed with an IMAX camera, mm-hmm. which, correct me if I'm wrong, is the first time that's ever happened. They actually developed a new black and white IMAX camera just for this movie. Like, Nolan actually invented the technology. So this is, like, the movie to see in IMAX if you can make the trek. going to be totally worth it. The Oppenheimer nuggets from this I guy. haven't even Look seen this. I haven't even <laughs> seen, haven't it, even yet, seen it yet. And if you wait out front at the theaters, you can get an A-Dog autograph. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. IMAX so tell us if you're going to Richmond. Yeah. What's yeah. Not, what time is the showing? Yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> what yeah. seat are you sitting in? Big celebrity sighting. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> it, I'm stoked though. Like it, it, the movie looks fantastic. I, and actually, I cannot it's a, wait. It's I a, mean, I love Christopher Nolan in general, but the cast list alone yeah. is just phenomenal. It's a good call to see it in IMAX. See, I will say I'm not the biggest Nolan guy, but I was very. I liked what Adnan had to say, which is it's different. Like I didn't love Inception. Obviously, The Dark Knight was mm-hmm. great. I, the great superhero movie. I didn't love Inception, but it sounds okay. like this is a little different. Well, it's his first ever biopic, for sure. And I mean, the cast, I mean, apparently Robert Downey Jr. is almost unrecognizable, which alone is pretty cool because he's been playing like, you know, the same character for 20 years now. Very recognizable character. Yeah. yeah, So, I mean, there's apparently some fantastic performances in it. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be good. Well, we will. uh, I look forward to getting your review on the on the show tomorrow. I'll let you know tomorrow. Spoiler free. Don't tell us whether they successfully build the bomb. Uh, I won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll keep it spoiler free. Okay. Keep it spoiler free. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.